0: I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking.
1: My step-aunt is a nun, and she showed up at my apartment and told me that something had happened and she had to take me to her convent. I know
0: that there is pretty much nothing less interesting than hearing about someone's
1: dreams. She kind of like snuck me in, and I was like hiding in the catacombs of this convent. Had just like this really musty, weird smell, like uh, like barbecue, like burnt barbecue and like mildew.
0: Things seem weird, but also sort of realistic.
1: I was put on this gurney and slowly saw myself floating up to heaven. So at that point, I realized that somewhere between the convent in the gurney had died and I was passing on to heaven
0: um okay so but
1: and he was like arguing with um, what I assumed was Saint Peter about how I should not be admitted into heaven eventually I got kicked out and I was strapped to the bottom of this train to go to hell and then I'd see like these giants like hundreds of feet away like stalking towards us and
0: so yeah, dreams, they're weird, they're boring, we get it, but this is not a dream. It's not, it's not a dream.
1: Heaven was like super pastel colors, but when I got to hell, it was just a gigantic parking lot of all these really old cars from like the forties and fifties and they were all extremely vibrant and you had to find a car to to live in. This is
0: Ashley and what she is describing This was all very real to her.
1: There were these bees lying around, blue and yellow bees. And the second I got to hell, like my whole body started, it was very hot and steamy and there was a lot of pain. And somebody told me, eat the yellow bee. So I ate the bee and all the pain went away, but it would wear off eventually. And then I quickly realized if you eat the bee to take the pain away, it erases all the danger. So you can't protect yourself. And if you eat the blue bee to counteract the yellow bee, then everything would come back, but you could also hide. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> it makes sense. I get it, though. It's like, you know, you eat the yellow bee, it fucks you up, you eat the blue bee, it's a different kind of, like, yeah. Ashley was in hell. Well, hell is really a coma? But she didn't know that when, I mean, she didn't know that. She just thought like, gotta eat this bee.
1: What did you wake up to? Um, the first thing I remember is, uh, a whiteboard that said April 21st. And then I remember opening my eyes and my best friend was there with these gigantic, like goofy glasses on her and her husband or her now husband. And, um, I was in this bed and my whole family was standing there and there's like cellophane um, frog balloons everywhere and um, they were talking about watching uh, the Peter Pan cartoon on the television and I was just like, what the, what is going on? And um, I was super certain that I was still dead, you know, and that this is just another, another world that I had like, found myself in um and then nothing ashley went back to hell figuratively speaking she passed out literally i woke up and my whole right leg was um just like completely covered in bandages and like i could see blood and it was super painful and I had remembered that day with the Peter Pan cartoon, like, my leg, like, like um, it, there was no damage to it whatsoever. So, you know, I, I quickly figured out, okay, this is my new hell, like, I'm, I'm just going to be stuck in this bed and they're going to torture me and uh, continue to just like add to my um, injuries, whatever they may be.
0: This new awake is only sort of awake. Things are starting to blur with that coma life. She starts to see things from that world while she's conscious in the real world.
1: And every time I, like, turn my head, my mom turns into this gigantic, like, spider creature who's trying to, like, lay eggs underneath my skin. And when my stepdad opens his mouth, these, like, little bugs fly out and try and, like, again, like, burrow into me. And, uh, you know... Part of what I had done when I was in the other house is I would think happy thoughts and it would help a little bit. So I'm laying in this bed and all this is happening. So I'm thinking, okay, like um, fluffy bunnies and these like gigantic, rabid vampire bunnies start like crawling out of the ceiling and surrounding me. And like, yep, this is definitely hell and none of my old coping skills are working. So it it was bad.
0: She didn't know that this hell was really the intensive care unit. She didn't fully understand that she was actually alive, and that her hell was real. It just was not what she thought it was. She knew that sometimes her friends and family were there with her, but she assumed that they were in hell, too. But someone was
1: missing. Uh, My friend Rachel came to visit, and um, she was, I think she was, like, drawing me pictures, and um, at that time I couldn't, I couldn't do anything, I couldn't, uh, walk, talk, write, um, but I I remember trying to grab the pen from her, and um, I I was trying to write something, and she looked at it, and immediately her, she just turned so white, and she left, and my mom came back in, and Um, My mom held up the paper to me, and you could tell I was trying to write Brett. And um, she's like, are are you asking about Brett? And I didn't—I was just wondering where he was in this hell because everybody else was here, you know. Uh, And she told me, you know, honey, you were in a fire, and um, Brett didn't make it. That's
0: the real hell. That Ashley's boyfriend is dead— and she is not. But she still didn't understand
1: what what happened. If Brett's dead, then like when did he die? And he would explain to me like, well, you were in a fire, and about three days later, uh, Brett died from smoke inhalation and was buried a little bit after that. But you were in a coma. A fire.
0: A fire is why Ashley is in the hospital. A fire is why Brett is dead. As Ashley comes in and out of consciousness, she needs it explained over
1: and over. Wait, what, what happened? Where's Brett? You know, you were in a fire um, at Tom and Mark's house and um, Brett didn't make it and we had his funeral. I think he told me that there were balloons there and, um, and that, you know, he was buried in Blacksburg at his family church.
0: So she had missed his funeral, but that fire, what was that? What had happened that night?
1: Excuse me. I have a gnarly cough, um, but it's not—it's from the fire. It just never goes away. But uh, what had happened, uh, we were at—we being Brett and I were at a uh, party at our best friend's house, um, St. Patrick's Day party, and um, Brett and I were kind of the last of the stragglers, and I was calling everybody cabs uh, because I was very adamant that nobody drink and drive, and uh, I— we, we missed our cab, Brett and I missed our cab, um, and so we went to go sleep in Tom's room, and evidently Mar- Mark woke up uh, somewhere between 2 and 4 in the morning, I don't really know, and his room um, was on fire. So he ran out of bed and then knocked on the door that Brett and I were in, and he opened the door and said, the house is on fire, you need to get out and um then he ran out to tell the rest of the duplex uh and then when he came back in that you know maybe 30 seconds time the hallway to the bedrooms had collapsed so uh, when the firefighters ambulances got there they uh pulled us out of a side window of the bedroom and i evidently was underneath like a burning bookshelf next to the doorway and brett was below the window so there's a bunch of hypotheticals one of them is that we got up to check our exits and passed out from smoke inhalation um another is that uh he had pushed me over to break the window and um was kind of like blocking me as much as possible um but regardless they pulled us out of the side window and um And, you know, his burns were evidently not nearly as bad as me, but he inhaled a lot more smoke. So, yeah, he didn't have any uh, brain activity.
0: Brett died, and Ashley did not, again and again. And now the fog was clearing. The pain was setting in. Not just the pain of Brett's absence, but of real physical wounds.
1: About 38% of my body was burned full thickness, which means um, that the fire went through every layer of skin. And then, you know, about the other 40% of me had been lasered off to make skin grafts. I mean, essentially, most of my body was burnt, and I'm covered in all these bandages and staples. um, And at this point at the rehabilitation hospital, they're they're trying to teach me how to walk again. And I can talk, but it's like this. I sound like a 90-year-old woman who's been smoking a pack of cigarettes, you know, every day, so...
0: few months before all this, everything was different. Ashley was 24 years old. She was in love with her goofy, sweet boyfriend, Brett. She described him as a way better person than she will ever be. Kind, loyal, morals galore. Ashley was Brett's first girlfriend,
1: and he was so into her. I used to live by these uh, railroad tracks, so we'd, um, you know go for brunch or something we'd put coins on the track go and eat and then come back and search for our squished coins and then for Valentine's Day um, we just wanted to be just the two of us so I went over to his house and he had made me this delicious homemade pot roast and, and he handed me this teeny little box and it's like what is that and I opened it and he had gone in my coin purse and grabbed the smoosh coins and had them turned into a necklace and um But it was just so thoughtful and creative. And I mean, for Christmas that year, he had memorized my cat's face a little bit at a time, gone home and painted what he memorized for the day. And then for Christmas, give me this beautiful painting of my cat that he painted from memory over the course of like four months. Like, who does that? (laughs) And and I think it's just
0: important for our listeners to remember this is like 2006, so it's not like he had an iPhone. It's not like you could
1: like... Oh, gosh. No, his phone (laughs) couldn't even send text messages. Yeah, it was
0: a simpler time. We had
1: phones, but yeah. Yeah. It was a flip phone.
0: Love is so weird. Love is painting a cat portrait from memory. That's, That's weird and love. That is perfect. That is love. Love is hope love is promise and potential. It's the idea that the best is here and the best is also
1: yet to come. I think I proposed to him about three months into our relationship. um, And he was like, you know, my parents would kill me. Like if I got engaged right now after we've only been together for three months. And um, I mean, he used to tell me like, you're all I've ever wanted. And and anybody like you're everything I've ever dreamed of, and the feeling was mutual like we were going to move back to where he was from and start a family. I was going to finish nursing school there, which I had started to do when I met him because I wanted to be good for our future. You know, yeah, we had some pretty good plans, hopes.
0: In the rehab center, Ashley's plans had changed. They were much more immediate.
1: I'm starting to be able to eat a little bit, but they're still feeding me through a tube. And um, they have a catheter put in um, every time I need to use the restroom because I've lost the ability to um, urinate on, and um, have a bowel movement on my own. Like your muscle memory does not, it immediately zaps out. As for Hope, Ashley was struggling. You know, here I was. Um, I had been a self-supporting, independent woman. And my mom is doing everything for me, like feeding me. Um, and I just thought, this is this is it for me. Like, I'm going to be, my mom's going to have to take care of me the rest of my life. And, um, you know, I'm horribly burned, like... N- how could anybody possibly find this attractive?
0: All around her, other patients were being wheeled about by their partners, being visited by their significant others, being reminded that beyond these walls, there was love, there's promise, there's potential.
1: There was no guarantee I was going to walk or um, get my mental faculties back. uh from you know, brain damage, but yeah, I didn't see. It was there was no future. It was uh a wheelchair. <laughs>
0: B.R.B. was in a rehab center. Her boyfriend, Brett, was dead. She couldn't walk. She couldn't talk.
1: Um, have you ever read The Diving Bell and the Butterfly? Just,
0: we have a weird connection because I was just <laughs> thinking about that. The Diving Bell and the Butterfly is a beautiful memoir by the French journalist Jean-Dominique Boby. I just wanted to use an accent. I don't know if it's good. He suffered a massive stroke and he woke up fully aware of his surroundings but only able to communicate by blinking one eye. He wrote an entire book like this by blinking an eye and it's beautiful and it's also devastating and terrifying how our bodies can do this. And one day you can be a butterfly off to anywhere you want and the next day locked in
1: that same body just trapped in darkness. I'm laying in the rehabilitation hospital. I've just uh, walked maybe like two steps, and it's just this ginormous deal, and I'm so pissed off. And um, I had read that book probably six months prior to uh, El Fuego, and I just remember how all of his brain was there, but he was so trapped, and I just knew at that moment, like, I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life unless I fight harder than I think I can in order to try and get better. That book just stuck with me every day, you know. Um, it it saved my life, to be honest, just knowing, like, I don't want to live like that. And it, it, would, it was very possible that that could have been my future. I think that moment I accepted, like, this is reality, and I am in this bed, and Brett is dead, and my mom is taking care of me, and I am being fed through a tube. And um, the next day, I just—I think I allowed myself to uh, be angry and, um, like, focus that anger on just fighting—
0: Imagine now a montage. Ashley channeling all that grief and rage and sorrow into progress. Inspirational music plays in the background. Yeah,
1: Hans, music like that. This is a turning point. Sort of. To be perfectly honest, my goal was to just be self-operative enough to kill myself. But... Like I had a goal <laughs> and it, it drove me um, for, I need, I'm going to walk. So I learned how to walk and then I'm going to, you know, learn how to brush my teeth again or take a shower on my own. And it took a while, but I got there and eventually the goal of being able to find a time to kill myself had passed. And the next goal was, okay, I'm going to write a sentence and eventually I'm going to read a book again. You know, just baby goals. (laughs) And baby goals
0: turn into bigger goals. Ashley's best friend is getting married. And after Ashley takes her first steps in the rehab facility, it's early May when she does that, she decides that she's going to walk up the aisle at her best friend's wedding 18 days later.
1: Yeah, I think her wedding is on May 23rd. My brother helped me. um, Like, he walked beside me, like he held me up you know but and it was on sand too so like I rocked that shit Nora I was like what <laughs>
0: like not to show up the bride but I was just uh, dead for a while <laughs> and now I'm your bridesmaid
1: yeah I immediately went to a wheelchair after like the I think I walked for maybe like 20 steps and um, was in a wheelchair the rest of the night but hey that doesn't it doesn't matter I did it you know I was there. I showed up. Boom.
0: Boom. Ashley was walking, talking, brushing her teeth, showering. And at the end of May, she was discharged from the rehab facility. It was time to go home. But where was home? Ashley's apartment had been let go. Brett's apartment had been let go. She didn't want to go to her mom's house. Nothing felt
1: like home anymore. My desire to have a beautiful life was gone. When I first learned I'd be going and living with my mom, I was so pissed and devastated. And um, keep in mind, I thought she was trying to kill me because I was hallucinating that she was a gigantic spider, you know? And uh, I was just so mad. And um, God bless. I love them so much, but like, I couldn't imagine living at home again, having my mom taking care of me. It just would have... But um, so we got an apartment together, a little two-bedroom apartment. And at first I had a hospital bed and I had a, a nurse who would come and take care of me. And then pretty quickly my mom took over. She, she did much better than most of them because she knew exactly how to do my wound care.
0: <coughs> and what was the what was the pain like at this
1: point physically yeah um the so when you are burned full thickness it go it burns through your nerves so um the pain got worse as time went on as my nerves started to reconnect so it's kind of like being burned in reverse for the wound care at that time she would basically just have to i would get completely naked and We would take off all my bandages, and she would slather me in this stuff called Alta, and there was this other, like, yellow cream, um, and she'd basically just, like, have to very gently rub my entire body with this stuff and then very gently rewrap me, and um, at that point, all the staples were taken out, and um, it's just hard to— I mean, if you just, you know, when you burn your hand on a pot and it's like, so it hurts, but like, it was just my whole body. I don't know how to describe it. It was, it's it's literally indescribable. Um. Ashley went from hallucinating
0: that her mom was a giant spider to depending on her mother for everything.
1: But then after probably about a month of living together, like I could not leave her side. Like I did not want any future without her there constantly. I mean, she was my role dog. We did everything together. And that that's the future I wanted at that point is where one where I just lived just me and my mom <laughs> lived in an apartment together forever. It I mean, I lost Any any desire for anything but that.
0: (laughs) That was Ashley's routine for at least a year. And it would be really easy to end here. where The hero has moved into an apartment. She's walking. She's talking. She's taking showers. And Ashley was walking and talking and showering. But she was also used to living with her mom. But can that last forever? No, because eventually Ashley's mom, who I just want to say was never a spider and was not trying to kill Ashley, she moves out, which means that Ashley's also alone a lot. And she's in a lot of pain and that she's been given a lot of ways to treat this pain.
1: I'd been on them when I was comatose, so... By the time I started waking up, my body was just used to them, and I just, you know, it's 9 a.m., take your 2 milligrams of dilatid, your 10 milligrams of Methadone, and your 10 milligram Percocet, and your 3,000 milligrams of Gabapentin, and then redo it 1, you know, just continue. Like, I was on a ton of drugs. I was not—I would fall asleep in my wheelchair. Even I would fall asleep on top of the toilet. I mean, I was so gone. <laughs> So incoherent. And I was taking those all all day every
0: day. One day Ashley and her mother leave on a road trip to Florida. Ashley, who had never been in charge of her own prescription refills, realizes at some point, oh, huh, she forgot her methadone. Methadone is an opioid that's prescribed for people in extreme pain. But Ashley doesn't think forgetting it is a huge deal.
1: In about maybe thirty minutes into our drive, I was dying. I felt like I was gonna poop myself. I was sweating profusely, and my whole body was like aching so bad it was—I was convulsing. And we called the doctor, and he quickly was like, "Well, she's in withdrawals. Like, you gotta come back and refill this prescription, or she's not gonna—she's not gonna make it," you know. And Not like she's going to die, but, I mean, you know, she is not physically, mentally going to be able to do anything. Um, That was my first taste of, like, holy, wow. I never want to feel that again. Did that raise, like, flags for your mom and your
0: doctors? Like, oh, maybe she shouldn't be on so many medications, or is that just, like, an expected side effect? I think
1: it's expected, but and then we eventually did say, like... I told them, like, I want to try and get off everything. And I slowly weaned off all of it. Um, like, which now, if I were currently um, on massive amounts of methadone and I had to taper myself off, there's no way. I have lost all ability to to do that. But at the time, the addiction hadn't been really, like, activated yet. Um, I didn't have that obsession to to get high, I just wanted to get off these drugs and not feel sick while doing it. But it's just been so long since I got high from them. So once I got that high back, it was like, well, I can get these and they make me feel great. I mean, it makes her feel
0: great. And Ashley doesn't have a hard time getting them either. Lots of her acquaintances were on pain meds. So Ashley starts swapping pills Mixing that with alcohol.
1: After the fire and losing bread, I was just like, whatever, let's get it on, you know? Why not?
0: I mean, yeah, why not? Yes, drugs are bad, and yes, life is precious, and also if you've lost the love of your life, if you've been burned over most of your body, if you're in constant pain and you can't see a future for yourself that in any way resembles the future you thought you'd have, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen, or at least one of the worst things that can happen, is that you get very addicted to prescription drugs and you end up in rehab where you fall in love with someone who also loves prescription drugs. And then the two of you go into a sober living facility together where you meet someone who likes to smoke heroin. So you start doing that and your boyfriend finds out you're smoking heroin. He's like, what? No, babe,
1: you got to shoot it. So we did that that night. And then um, I immediately started puking, but kept Like I also loved it because I was like super stretchy and my burns didn't hurt for the first time in a long time. And, um, the next morning we decided we were just going to throw it all in the ocean and it was horrible mistake. And he said, you know, Ashley, I just want to do one more shot. And I was like, I'm not into it. Like I'm still puking from last night. And I left him and he was supposed to be right behind me, but he wasn't coming. So I went back to the car and, uh, or his truck and I opened the passenger door and um, his clothes were just sopping wet and his eyes were wide open and his pupils were like literally the size of a pinpoint and his he was blue. And uh, I immediately realized he had overdosed. So I called 911 and like ran to his side of the truck and like pulled him out. And he's like 6'1", 180 maybe. And I'm like 5'6", 30 maybe at the time so um, and I was. they walked me through CPR until the paramedics arrived and um, you know I had a man come up to me in the parking lot of the jack-in-the-box while everybody's watching this happen nobody's helping and he, the one guy comes up to me and puts his hand on my shoulder and he says just let him go honey <laughs> And I was like fuck you I just remember thinking I am not going through this again not again you know The paramedics arrived,
0: and Ashley's boyfriend survived, and Ashley did not let him go. That night was just the beginning.
1: We shut up together 60 days later, and that started a year long of me doing heroin all day, every day, embezzling money from my job. And when he went back to treatment, I tried to move home, and... The moment I realized I was too sick to ever do anything normal again is when I would go to my storage unit um, because all my stuff was in a unit. I was at my parents' house, and I would literally take a Q-tip with me. You had to clear the bubbles out of the needle, you know, so stuff splatters out. So I would take my Q-tip and rub it against the furniture and try and make a shot out of that. And, like, sometimes I would lick the furniture just so desperate to not feel sick
0: anymore. Ashley ended up getting treatment and relapsing, getting treatment and relapsing, and then another treatment. My
1: last uh, relapse landed me in a county-run psych ward for um, 14 days. And, And it was the first time my mom really sounded... Like she had given up. Um, It was was just the sound in her voice was just, I knew that I had absolutely ruined everything. Um, My brother, I was supposed to be in his wedding and he not only asked me not to be in the wedding, but also requested that I not go. And our family's very close, you know. I think. Like, these little windows of memories are just, like, these moments of clarity where I was like, damn, I'm really sick. Like, I'm a super sick human, like, sleeping um, in the dirt, you know, after I'd left a homeless shelter so I could get high. yeah, It just—and they you hear people say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing. Over and over and expecting different results. But for me, like, my insanity was I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew it was going to be all bad and I'd lose everything. But I did it anyways. Like, I could not stop myself. You know, I don't think I fully uh, have let myself grieve the physical part of the fire until maybe the last two years or so. Because it just didn't even it just didn't matter, you know, like, yes, like I had the thoughts of like, I'm never going to have a boyfriend again. And like, how, what am I going to look like naked, you know, <laughs> but it just it was so minuscule compared to losing Brett that I just I just didn't care. And I think that's a lot like I eventually became super addicted to any sort of mind-altering substance, and I think that was a big part if I just didn't care anymore. Ashley had been to hell. She
0: had thought she was dead. But this was something different. Addiction was a new
1: form of death for her. I think the spiritual death this last time was far surpassed what I imagined I could experience, and a lot of that had to do with the way my family, just the way they, like, I couldn't, I didn't see them, I could, I just heard it in their voice, but they were just, they didn't want me anymore. Like, they did, you know, but they didn't. You know, I always, I still kind of hate when people say one day at a time, but I literally would just wake up in the morning and say this is what I have to do to get through the rest of today. And that's all I have to focus on, because if I looked at tomorrow, I, I just wanted to die. <laughs> so yeah, I worked really hard, um, did a lot every day to stay busy and um, not put a needle in my arm. While Ashley
0: and I were talking, During our interview, I found her on Facebook and I scrolled way, way back, way back to when she met Brett. Her photos of that time are just like all of my photos from my early 20s. Lots of pics of me and my friends in bars, real boring photos, really just us smiling, clutching our beers, happy, completely unaware of the many ways that life could and would demolish us. That fire took so much. It took Brett. It took their future together. It scarred Ashley's body. It was a physical and spiritual destruction for her. Ashley did see therapists and PTSD counselors during those first two years after Brett's death, but at that point, she was also just trying to survive physically any psychological healing wasn't really possible while she was just trying to learn how to be a person again. If you're familiar with addiction and recovery at all, you know that you're never cured. Recovery is a process that's ongoing. Right now, as we spoke, Ashley has a little over two years of clean time. She's gone back to school for drug and alcohol counseling and started working in a residential rehab facility, which makes sense to me. I think the only people who can possibly teach it are people who have been there, right? People who have hit their rock bottom.
1: My philosophy on bottoms, (laughs) which not everyone agrees with, um, I I am 100 percent convinced by my own experience that they don't exist because um, by my own experience, like, my bottom is death. So everything that happens in between there, it's not my bottom. It's just, it can just always get worse. Like, I don't know how to, like, the only bottom I can describe is when you put the shovel down and stop digging. But I just don't, I don't believe it. I don't think I've hit my bottom, I think. I just don't think it exists. I think uh my bottom will be death.
0: The day we spoke, Ashley had just discovered a new way to get high. Adrenaline. She'd found something new to love. It's skydiving. I would rather not jump out of an airplane. Personal preference would just like to stay seated maybe get up to use the bathroom once. But Ashley loves skydiving. It's essentially the opposite of her coma back when she was trapped in her body, that diving bell.
1: How are you today? I'm fabulous. What a special occasion today, what's going on today? I'm about to jump out of a plane. Wait, what? Not strapped to somebody else. Oh my goodness. Are you crazy or what? Yeah. Okay, let's go have some fun, okay? All right. Would you like to say hi to somebody? Uh, no. No? <laughs> let's go have some fun.
0: <laughs> this is from the video of Ashley's first solo jump, where she was going to leap on her own, out of an airplane, without being tied to anyone else.
1: I was very nervous, but also um, just, like, super just in awe of myself. Like, am I really doing this? You know, this is not something a lot of people do. Hey, you. Hi. We're halfway up. How are you feeling? Um, yeah, great. Are you nervous at all? Yes. Shaking. <laughs> you ready for this? Yeah. Of course you are. Let's go have some fun.
0: It was a bright, sunny day beautiful blue sky and a small plane climbing, climbing.
1: The sky is, it's open, it's quiet, and, um... Ashley stepped
0: to the edge of the door and jumped.
1: I felt like I was being scooped up and... Um, just, like, literally surrounded by Brett. And I have not felt that close to him since I went to sleep with him that night, you know? Like, it just—he was—he was so happy for me. And he always wanted to climb Mount Everest, and I was just telling him, like, it's not Everest, but, you know, we're here. And I was laughing, you know, like he had a bunch of nicknames for me and I could just hear, I could just hear him talking, calling me all of these names. And um, just like, <sighs> I just felt like being hugged and I was alone, you know, thousands of miles above everything. And I've never felt so not alone.
0: Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. I'm the host of this show. I'm doing this from memory. I'm the host of Terrible. Thanks for asking. Our senior producer is Hans Butow. Our assistant producer is Marcel Malikibu. Our project manager is Hannah Meekock-Ross. Our intern is Emma Martins. Who who helped us on this episode? Nobody? Nobody. You know who we're thinking? No one. Okay? No thanks to Curtis Gilbert, we got this episode. <laughs> the book that we talked about in this episode is truly excellent. You should go check it out. It is called The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. It is so beautiful. If you haven't read it, what a treat for you. There's also a movie, but, like, read the book. And if you have... Revisit it because I, I I'd read it like may, almost twenty years ago. Good golly! We are a production of American Public Media, APM. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson of Just Post Bellum.
1: Ashley, yes. Welcome back. Hi, thank you. What do you think? Uh, I don't think I've ever been able to do anything again with, with this much joy. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're going to do... a Yeah, exactly. Yeah. More jumps. Yeah. You did, girl. You yeah. did good, girl. Thank you. Are you ready for more? Yes. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Let's do it. woo